Welcome to Set for Life with Pastor Ray Jensen. You can find us at setforliferadio.com. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So let's listen from God's Word, verse by verse, on how we can prepare for the coming of the Lord Messiah Jesus, who died on the cross, so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life if you give your heart and believe what He's done for you. You'll be set for life with the treasure stored up in heaven when you're through. You'll be set for life. Esther chapter 3 and verse 1. After these things, King Ahasuerus promoted Haman, the son of Hamadatha the Agagite, and advanced him and set his seat above all the princes who were with him. Okay, verse 1 alone, it, we've been given more than enough information, quite a lot of information, to tell us what kind of man Haman is, what kind of guy he is. It says, Haman, the son of an Agagite. And so Haman himself would be an Agagite, Agagite, however you say it. What does this mean? There's a meaning behind the fact that the Bible says he's, he is of an Agagite. What is this? Agag. If you remember Agag, he was a king who was of the ever so hostile Amalekites. And I know that many of you know that name, Amalekite. Those were the continuous enemies of the, of the Jewish people. They were always against them. The Amalekites were the ones who cowardly attacked Israel from the rear of their line, where the most vulnerable people were as they were coming out of Egypt. It was a cowardly attack, and they're just trying to get out of there, and they attacked them, and God was infuriated at this move that the Amalekites did. Let me show you about that in Exodus 17, because this helps set the stage for why the Bible told us that that Haman is an Agagite. Exodus 17 and 14. The Lord said to Moses, write this for a memorial in the book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called its name, the Lord is my banner. For he said, because the Lord has sworn, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. And so the Amalekites were murderous people. And they were so ruthless that the Lord commanded King Saul to take them out. King Saul was supposed to get rid of them. Look what happened with that. 1 Samuel 15 and 3. He said, now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and do not spare them. This is because they attacked his covenant people. And verse 9 of that also says, but Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good, and they were unwilling to utterly destroy them. So they weren't wiped out, as they were told to do. So there you can see from 1 Samuel 15 that King Agag was king of the Amalekites, and God was against the Amalekites for their ruthlessness towards Israel. And so God sent his man Samuel to take out Agag, since Saul did not. In 1 Samuel 15, 33, Samuel said, as your sword has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. And Samuel hacked Agag in pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. 
Okay, so back to Esther 3 now. The readers of Esther 3, at the time of its writing, they knew this history very well between Agag and the Israelites. And right here in Esther verse uh, in Esther 3, verse 1, it would have made the readers gasp to see that Haman is an Agagite. They're like, uh-oh. Because we know from the story who Esther is. Her people and her family are Jews. And she's right up there with the king. And who's the next guy under there, even above the princes? Haman the Agagite. Oh, it's not looking good. (laughs) So, he's being now set up somewhat in a power match against Esther. And you know right away, these two being paired up so close together, right underneath the king, is going to come with some sort of a major conflict. So that verse 1 gives us a lot right there about what's coming. You know, this kind of reminds you, uh, it kind of reminds me of boxing. <laughs> when I think of boxing, you take the two top contending rivals and you put them in a ring together and see what happens. The two top guys, you know, it's going to be big. It's going to be powerful because they're not just picking anybody to square off against each other. They're taking the top two guys. The stakes go up really, really high. When you do that, the tension, it rises. Because you know these two rivals have such a history that the big event is going to be which one will fall. That's what I think of when I think of Esther and now Haman, the Agagite. The people read this and go, oh, this is going to go big. You got to know the history, though. They can't both exist in this ring together for very long. Somebody's going to go. But who? Of course, those of you who've read the book, you know who, but we'll find out. Now, in the, case of, in the case of Esther and Haman, the readers in this day, they would have felt this tension just by reading verse 1. He's an Agagite. They would have felt that tension. And between a Jew and this Agagite, Amalekite, they cannot both rule in the same kingdom together. One of them's bound to go. But this is not... Let me make a a clear distinction here. This is not Esther versus Haman. This is the Lord God of Israel versus any enemy of his people. That's what this is. And you know how that's going to go. So take a look at how our story is starting to really amp up now. The people are getting in their places. The king has elevated an Israelite Jew, uh, Jew named Esther to be queen and the king has also elevated an Agagite, an Amalekite, named Haman to the second highest position in the kingdom, even above princes. He has a secretive, the king has a secretive Israelite woman as queen, and an Israelite hater as second in command. <laughs> this is getting big. This is getting big. Something's going to burst. But you can sense that trouble's brewing. However, this is how the Lord is setting up the stage to demonstrate his awesome power to the entire Persian Empire. Wow. You know, I just want to take a minute here to say that, you know, when you feel yourself getting in a tense situation, rather than taking that tension just on you, realize maybe God's setting you up to demonstrate himself in a big way. That's a better way to look at things. I try to do that. Because, man, I tell you what, I, like you, I get in situations where you're like, oh, how, oh this isn't looking good for me. What's going to happen? How do I get out of this? Wait a minute. 
How's the Lord going to glorify himself in this? Then I get excited. (laughs) That's a good way to turn your tension into excitement. He's going to demonstrate himself to the entire Persian Empire. Now let's find out how. Esther 3 and 2. And all the king's servants who were within the king's gate bowed and paid homage to Haman. For so the king had commanded concerning him. But Mordecai would not bow or pay homage. Then the king's servants who were within the king's gate said to Mordecai, Why do you transgress the king's command? Now it happened when they spoke to him daily, and he would not listen to them, that they told it to Haman to see whether Mordecai's words would stand. For Mordecai had told them that he was a Jew. Now Esther's keeping it secret, but Mordecai let them know. Mordecai's identity is exposed here. And so you can tell that the bad history that is well known at this point between the Jews and the Agagites was well known here because right after Mordecai tells him he's a Jew, the first thing the nobles do is they go tell Haman about it. You, you see the, the past history that I showed you is playing right into our story here. And so that's in the wording that everybody knows the bad history between these two people groups. And so Mordecai's refusal to bow to Haman has started controversy. And as they say, the plot thickens. <laughs> Esther 3 and 5. When Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow or pay him homage, Haman was filled with wrath, but he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone, for they had told him of the people of Mordecai. Instead, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews who were throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus, the people of Mordecai. That's a big order right there. Now, once again, you can see this long-running hatred just immediately sparks up in Haman. His past prejudice history is fueling him. And something I want to say to America, I know we have rocky trouble in our past history. Don't let old prejudices and old hatreds fuel you just because that happened. We are people of God. We forgive. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. So. This long-running hatred that the Agagites have had against the Jews from here launches a plan to kill all the Jews. All of them. Show that map, the, the map. When it says that Haman wanted to kill all the Jews in the empire, in the kingdom, we have to consider just how big the Persian empire was at this time. Esther chapter 1 says the empire stretched from India to Ethiopia. And you can see that also includes the promised land area that God had given the Jews to inherit. So now not only was there tension building up between Esther and Haman, ruling right underneath the king, not only was there tension building up between Haman and Mordecai, but now verse 6 says that Haman sought to destroy all the Jews, all of them. All of them who were throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus. This is mass genocide. Friends, if this story was not big enough before, it really got big now. Everywhere that Haman is, there's trouble. Everywhere he goes, there's trouble. And Haman is not messing around. He's serious about trying to kill off God's covenant people in Esther 3 and 7. In the first month, which is the month of Nisan, in the twelfth year of King Ahasuerus, they cast pure, that is, the lot, 
before Haman to determine the day and the month until it fell into the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar. Okay, so why are they throwing lots? What is this? Back then, the Persians were very superstitious, and they'd throw lots to determine decisions. What, how are we going to do this? They threw lots. And so we've got information to go on to, to determine what they're doing here. Since verse 6 says that Haman looked for a way to kill the Jews, and verse 7 says they threw lots to determine the day and month, what we can see here is that they're trying to determine when to launch their plan of extermination. That's what they're doing. When do we launch this extermination plan? Now, verse 7 gives, gives us the time frame here. Right now, it says they are in the first month of the year. And the lot, it says, fell on the 12th month for them to begin the genocide. It, they're in the first month. The lot fell in the 12th month to start the genocide. They've got one year to go. That's our time frame. They have one year to go. But Haman does not know the power of the God of Israel. I want to show you Proverbs 16 and 33. The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. (laughs) God controlled that. What's happening here is that Israel's enemy, Haman, who is planning to kill the Jews, is actually falling right into the Lord's plan because God determined how the lot turned out. Doesn't that give you comfort that your enemies, the plans they work, actually goes back into God's hand in some kind of way? The lot did not fall for them to start killing the Jews immediately. The Lord had allowed time for his plan to work out. The Lord's plan, not Haman's plan. You see what's going on here? God's plan is at work, not Haman's. The Lord's going to work this out. And take comfort in the fact that although you have enemies, God's plans for you stands above their plans for you. God's plan for you is above their plan for you. Right here in Esther, we see that. And so the God of Israel has complete and total control over the enemies of his people. Now, still today, the Jews celebrate their deliverance because we know God's going to save them. They celebrate their deliverance from this mass genocide through a holiday. Now, did you notice what the lot was called in verse 7? It calls the lots, it says the lots were called pure, pure, which is the basis for the name of the Feast of Purim. The Feast of Purim. <laughs> Look at that. The Jews base their, they celebrate God's deliverance based on the name of the very devices that were used to choose the date of their annihilation. <laughs> what an insult back to the enemy. The tool you used to pick when we were going down is the name of our celebration of getting delivered from you. Purim. Awesome. Now we're going to see later in the book of Esther, in Esther 9 and 26, it said, so they called these days Purim after the name Pure. Guys, this is fascinating to me, because we, we have celebrated Purim before, we've talked about it, and it's neat where they get the name from. And so it also helps it burn into our memories where the Feast of Purim comes from and why it is called by that name. Now, another thing about verse 7 is that it is filled with more of those wonderful biblical timestamps. I love biblical timestamps, because it helps me. and. It helps me with more 
depth into the story. Verse 7 says that we are now in the 12th year of King Ahasuerus. Back in chapter 1, in Esther chapter 1, verse 3, it said we were in the third year of the king's reign. So that means nine years have passed now since the king's big banquet in chapter 1. We've now gone through nine whole years. Now this lets us know how long Esther has been queen at this point. Because if you refer back to Esther 2 and 16, it says, So Esther was taken to King Ahasuerus into his royal palace in the tenth month, which is the the month of Tebeth, in the seventh year of his reign. We're getting all these timestamps all over, mapping it out for us. So Esther was taken in the tenth month. All right, Esther became queen in year seven. She became queen in year seven. And now the plot to kill the Jews is decided in year 12. How long has Esther been queen? She's been queen for about five whole years now. Time really moves, doesn't it? (laughs) She's been queen for now, uh, queen of Persia, that empire that we saw, for five years. Why is it important to take special observation to biblical timestamps, aside from the fact that it allows historical validation? Because the timestamps give us more depth about the people we are reading about. You can now see that she's been queen for five years, but also consider how Esther had fully dedicated herself before that five years to a whole year of dedication that we saw previous in the book, to a whole year of beauty preparations. Now that that whole year of beauty preparations, that demonstrated dedication on Esther's part, great dedication. And, and, and so now what we see is that she has continued to uphold that same level of dedication in her role as queen for a full five years. She dedicated hard to that whole year of preparation. She's going to give that same level of dedication for the five years she's been queen. The king has now seen a lengthy time of dedication from her. By now, King Ahasuerus has probably come to really trust her. And not only that, but Mordecai reported a plot that was supposed to be against them. So Mordecai and Esther are coming upward in their trust. For, forget promotion. Haman, you're up here. Forget that. Who's being, who has integrity here? Esther and Mordecai both are demonstrating integrity. Haman is going to show quite the opposite. But let me, again, about Esther real quick. This dedication she's been doing for these years And still her secret of being a Jew has still not been out yet. She has still not revealed that she's a Jew. How many people today could do this? (laughs) Keep a secret like this? I mean, that tight? How many people could really do it? Most people, they just can't keep their mouth shut anymore. They've They've got that, I am who I am, and I don't care what anybody thinks. And if you don't like it, then you can go eat dirt. They got that kind of attitude. Esther does not. Esther doesn't have that. Friends, that kind of attitude is not God-serving. It is self-serving. And the timestamps in verse 7 shows us the integrity of Esther, the selfless character and attitude that Esther has. It's not all about her. It's not, I'm the queen, now I can do whatever I want to. No, that's not what it is. She has been continually obedient to Mordecai's instructions. To keep quiet about being a Jew for the sacrificial and selfless purpose of fulfilling God's plan to save the Jewish people. She is exercising discipline 
so that God can work through her. You see how important it is for us to have a discipline about ourselves so that God can work through us. God's not going to work through people that's like, I'm who I'm going to be, and if you don't like it, too bad. God's not going to use that, people. He's just not. Esther is demonstrating a good quality qualities to us. She's been keeping that secret there. Serving the Lord takes real discipline. Notice the root word of discipline is disciple. Now look at how much we have learned about Esther's character from a mere timestamp. Do you see that? Don't skip over timestamps too fast when you read the Bible because timestamps, biblical timestamps are just waiting to burst open with a lot of good information to help us walk in the Lord more carefully. And so for six years now, one of years for preparation, and now five as being queen, Esther has not heard from either Mordecai or the Lord that it's time to reveal her secret that she's a Jew. And so she's keeping it quiet. That is firm, disciplined dedication. Esther 3 and 8. Then Haman said to King Ahasuerus, There is a certain people scattered and dispersed among the people in all the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from all other peoples, and they do not keep the king's laws. Therefore, it is not fitting for the king to let them remain. If it pleases the king, let a decree be written that they be destroyed, and I will pay 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those who do the work to bring it into the king's treasuries. Now, from that, Haman had no evidence whatsoever, zero, that the Jews were breaking laws. He had no evidence of that at all. He made that up. He lied. He lied. He's speaking Satan's language, which means he's being used as the devil's little puppet. Because Satan is trying to wipe out God's covenant people like he's been doing for a very, very long time. And Satan does not just work through lies. He also works through big money. Don't let that big money thing fool you. Now, Haman was willing to pay for the Jews' destruction. You know, dangle enough money in front of people, and they'll do anything you want them to, no matter how absurd it is. And that's Haman's angle here. Haman offered to pay how much? 10,000 talents of silver. How much is that? That is one staggering amount of money. Incredibly staggering. Millions upon millions in today's currency. Haman had not been in his high position long enough to have accumulated wealth like this. That's the problem I see here. He, he just got promoted not long ago. <laughs> he was not promoted up until Esther became queen, so he hasn't been in this spot for less than five years. He hadn't had enough time to build up that kind of wealth yet. And so, since there's no way he could have built up that much wealth, unless he was very crooked, unless he was crooked and had seriously been abusing his position in ways that the king wasn't aware of. And so here, you've got a crooked man calling the Jews crooked. That's hypocrisy. Now, I think... It's possible that this enormous figure that he presented to the king made the king suspicious of Haman. Thank you for listening to Set for Life. We hope you can join us next time 
unless Jesus returns for us first. Set for Life is the radio ministry of Pastor Ray Jensen. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast at setforliferadio.com. Hi, this is Ray Jensen. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to encourage you in God's Word. If the Bible doesn't excite you, then you're not reading it. I want you to remember that you are not worthless. You are priceless. Messiah Jesus died on the cross to redeem you so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life.